0: Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But how does the Bible tell you so? I wonder if you've ever thought about that question. Well, in lots of different ways. You can be sure that Jesus loves you, even you and the person sat next to you, and anybody who's part of this world, Jesus loves us. How do you know that? Well, you can know that from verses that say that, like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. You could look at the stories of Jesus, not just single verses, but the stories of Jesus, of how he looked at people and loved them, of how he acted out love for others in giving and serving and washing and speaking and teaching and leading and helping Jesus loved people in his actions and ultimately at the cross. Jesus went and laid down his life. He didn't need to. His life wasn't dragged away from him. He laid it down willingly. And even as he was dying, being killed, was forgiving the people around him. Jesus loved us, not just in words, but in actions too. There's another way that you can know that, and that's by reading the book of Acts and to see how, not just how Jesus treated people when he was here on this earth, 2,000 years ago, but how Jesus continued treating people through his church, through his leaders, the apostles, who went out. Who was it that they spoke to? Who was it that they called? Who was it that they challenged, that they invited to come and know God? Who was it that they said, you could be forgiven if you come and repent? Who is it that they said, you can be healed if you just turn to the Lord Jesus? Who was it that they went to find and brought into the church well, that's what this story in the book of Acts is all about today, is is all about different people coming to know Jesus for themselves. Really, really different people um, coming to know Jesus for themselves, realizing that he loves them, that he's the king over everything, and that they needed to come and bow the knee to him, leave their old lives behind and come and walk and follow the God who loves them. That's what this story is about in Acts chapter 16. So... Um, if you've been following along over the last few months, you'll know. If not, this is your first Sunday. Well, welcome. We're really glad you could join us. And we've been working through this book called Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, it's the usual formal title. But um, but right at the beginning, Luke says this is a story all about what Jesus continued to do and teach through the apostles, the the first leaders of the church. So really, it's the history of the Christian church. It's what happened right at the very beginning after Jesus. Then comes his followers and they begin to grow and spread all around the world and different people get involved. And so we've met a man called Paul, who was a Jew, a really strong, devout, serious Jew, so serious that actually was persecuting Christians. And then God turned his life around and sent him out to the world, to the rest of the world, to the furthest corners, to teach people about Jesus. So we're kind of just beginning Paul's story. A few weeks ago, we looked at his first, it's called his first missionary journey, where he heads up into central Turkey, um, plants lots of churches as he shares the good news about Jesus and people turn and believe in him and they're formed into churches and, and they're started there and then Paul goes back home. And a few years later, we're now at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. It starts out with this desire actually to go and visit all the churches that Paul planted on the first journey. Um, That's back in chapter 15. He says to his friend Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. That's chapter 15, verse 36. So that's the plan. That's the idea to go back to all the places where they had been before, encourage the believers there, teach them a little bit more, help them to grow a little bit. But what actually happens is much bigger than they can imagine. What actually happens is that they break ground into a whole new continent. They just don't, they don't just go and visit their old friends, they go to brand new places. So let me read you the story for today. And if you want to get a map out, if you've got a spare screen or I don't know in the back of your Bible, you might find a map of Paul's second second missionary journey. What you've got to imagine is him not taking the boat now, but walking from Antioch, which is in um, southeast. Turkey you think of Turkey as like a big rectangle Antioch's down here that's where Paul is right now and he's going to walk diagonally northwest through Turkey try and get into a couple of places first he's going to try and cut west directly down to the coast and then he's going to try and cut north but neither of those things happen so he keeps on going up northwest to a place called Troas right in the northwest of Turkey um, and eventually goes over to Macedonia it's actually modern day Greece but it was called Macedonia there and begins taking the good news into Europe for the first time. So maybe this sounds like any other story, but it's a pretty big deal. This is the story of how the good news of Jesus came to Europe, came to people like us in the beginning. This is the start of our story. Let me read it to you. It's from Acts chapter 6. Sorry, Acts chapter 16, starting from verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, parts of modern Turkey today, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the the word in the province of Asia, that's east, and somehow the Holy Spirit stopped them from going there. When they came to the border of Mysia, and this is north, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, down to the beach in the northwest. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got, we got ready, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That change from they to we is a clue that Luke had now joined. Luke, the writer of, of Acts, Luke had now joined in with Paul, so this is eyewitness stuff. Luke has joined them, probably in Troas, and now this is him not just writing the story reported by others, but the story that he himself was a part of. So from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothras, and the next day we went down to ne- Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practise. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men, the jailer told Paul. "The Magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers... They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encourage them that they left. It's a good story, isn't it? So many good stories in the book of Acts. And there's loads there that we could look at, but we don't really have time to get stuck into all of it today. So I wanted to pick out really two big things, I think, from that story. First is, who does God want in his kingdom? Who does God want in his church? Who does God want? People like you, people like me. And The second thing is, um, how does God lead? So who does God want and how does God lead us? Like I said, lots of other things to look at, but who does God want in his church? Well, Paul, Silas, the rest of the crew, with Paul uh, with Luke probably now in tow, they head from Troas out to Philippi. And Philippi is uh, a land far, far away. This is getting close to proper Roman territory. This is far away from the Middle East into what we call Europe today. Maybe it wouldn't have been, felt like such a big thing for Paul at the time. It was just another Roman province, as pretty much all the known world was. But we can see the beginning of what God is doing in our continent here in Europe. And just think of all of the ripples that have gone out from this. Philippi is this Roman city. Lydia is the first European person um, to come to know Jesus. And from that first church planted in this first European city with these first people, Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer, most unlikely mix of people, isn't it? From that, imagine the ripples that have gone out, not just through Europe, but the whole of the world. Imagine all the cathedrals you've ever visited. All of those were built on the foundation of these moments, of these weeks that Paul spends sharing the gospel with people in Europe. Think of all of the missionaries who've ever gone out from Europe to the rest of the world. Think of William Carey going to India, or Adoniram Judson going to Burma and the Mekong region in Southeast Asia. Think of my parents going, intending to go to Japan and then getting turned down to Indonesia. Think of all the generations of history that we enjoy here in Europe, of knowing Jesus, of walking with him, and that's, Brought some trouble. It hasn't always been a happy history but it's been in many other ways really beautiful history of the good news of a loving God taking root in all the different cultures of Europe and then in time from those cultures going out to plenty of other places in the world. You see this is the first little drop in the ocean that causes ripples all the way around to the other side of the world. It's quite a significant and amazing story but with what kind of people does God begin this massive movement in Europe? A really regular, normal, actually quite misfit kind of people. Maybe people like you and me. But well, who are those three people who seem to be the kind of beginnings of the church in Philippi? There's probably plenty of others because Paul at the end meets with brothers and sisters. That's a kind of way of talking about a whole church community together. So there's more than these three, but these are the three that Luke picks out for us. One is a woman who's a foreigner who has to meet outside the city. Uh, who's interested in a god that not many other people are interested in. She's a, a bit of a misfit. Wealthy, well-to-do, uh, selling purple cloth would have been a, a pretty lucrative um, career to have, uh, but she's a bit of an outsider as well. So a woman, an outsider, a foreigner, um, probably not a Roman citizen because she's from Thyatira, and um, And and though she's quite a wealthy woman. And then you've got the opposite end of the scale. which is also a woman. But this slave girl is as poor as they come. Doesn't even own her own body. Isn't really even in possession of her own mind. She seems to be under the influence of some dark spirit. Um, This spirit that means she's able, possibly, somehow, to predict the future. At least people believe that she can. And she's... brought in to be a part of the church. And then you have this um, man, this Philippian jailer. He would probably have been a Roman citizen and a former soldier. Uh, jailers would apparently um, often come from those kind of stock. So you can imagine he's made a kind of a, a bit of a rough and ready kind of character, a bit older. Um, I imagine him as a, a bit of a grumpy guy, not particularly caring a great deal for the welfare of those in, in prison. And so you have these really different kind of characters who become a part of the church. Let's think a bit more about their stories. Well, Lydia, what's she like? She's wealthy. Um, She's a woman. She's outside the city. Why? Because there's no synagogue inside. Maybe because they didn't have enough men and you needed a certain number of men in order to found a synagogue, but maybe just because people don't want them worshipping God in Philippi. So they're down here about a mile outside of the city. You can find a river and that's where they're praying. Why by a river? Well, maybe so that they can baptize as the Jews did uh, back in the day. Maybe because that's where Jewish people like to meet from all the way back in Babylon, where they hung up their harps by the rivers of Babylon and sang songs. It was apparently a bit of a tradition when you were in a foreign place to go and find a place by a river outside the city and meet other Jewish people there who felt far, far away from home. So maybe that was the reason as well. But here's Lydia and she's interested in God. She's not a Jew herself. It says she's a worshipper of God, which means she's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. But she's interested in worshipping God. And so she's kind of come close, but she doesn't quite belong. She's wealthy enough to have a big house to welcome guests. Um, But you can imagine her being a bit of an outsider, meeting outside, not quite belonging because she's not a Roman citizen. But there she is, interested in God, theologically switched on, listening really carefully and thinking about what Paul has to say. And what does God do? Verse uh, Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Who does God want in his kingdom? He wants people like Lydia. People who are switched on theologically. People who feel a bit like they're outsiders. Women. Um, Rich people. Those are the kind of people that are Lydia's people. And God wants Lydia's in his church. I wonder if that fits what you were like. Kind of curious spiritually. Maybe pretty well-to-do. Kind of middle class. Maybe felt a bit of an outsider. Maybe you've moved into Wales from outside. Maybe you've moved from Wales uh, away. And you feel a bit away from home. Well, God wants you to belong, to be a part of his family. What about this second story? It's a strange one, isn't it? This woman, young woman, whose body and mind don't belong to herself. At least they've been taken away, taken over. She's somebody who's been exploited, who's, who's being used and abused by these men for her strange spiritual powers. She's not in her right mind. She's got real psychological problems, real deep, dark, spiritual problems. She she doesn't belong to herself. It's a horrible place to be. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, where you feel like somebody else owns you, runs your life, and you just can't get away from it. Maybe it wasn't a person. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe you felt a darkness in your own life or some sin, some a thing that seems to have been in your family for a long time and you just can't seem to get away from it. You almost feel enslaved to it. Well, what does Paul do here? Paul turns around and in the name of Jesus, he frees her. Jesus rescues this girl, rescues her from her psychological troubles, from her spiritual troubles, from her um, economic and social troubles. These people own her and then they don't any longer. We don't really get the end of her story. I'd love to hear what happened to her next. But I imagine she'd be tossed in the scrap heap. And who would it be who would take her in if not the church? People like Lydia, who had spare rooms in their house. To take her in and feed her up and help her stand on her own two feet again. Because she hadn't belonged to herself for a long, long time. See, Paul rescues her. Really, Jesus rescues her, frees her. And it enrages everybody. It's actually been quite... A handy thing for everybody else to have this strange girl in their presence. People really want to know the future, don't they? There's questions that we have about what decisions to make and what to do next with our lives, and it would have been quite a handy, maybe spooky thing for people to have this woman in their midst who could tell them something about the future. It would have been a a kind of a handy thing for these men to have her be making an awful lot of money out of her. And when she's freed, when Paul brings the good news of Jesus, of King Jesus, into this situation, where he rescues her and he turns the city upside down, he invades it. This is almost an invasion of Europe. This story, Jesus, King Jesus, is riding in to a new continent, to a new city, and taking over, turning over the tables once again, freeing the captives, pulling down the authorities, raising up those who are weak. Do you see? Do you see? Um, the hints of Jesus all over this story. Do you see that they're doing really what Jesus was doing? Freeing people, rescuing them and bringing them into his kingdom. And then they meet this third guy. They get beaten up, severely flogged, dragged away to the prison. Even though they're Roman citizens, they really should have had a fair trial, but the mob has their way, drags them off to the prison. They get beaten up. And then the cold guard chucks them in the inner prison and forgets about it until in the middle of the night, after they've been singing. I mean, what an amazing testimony that is. Can you sing when you're suffering? They're singing psalms, singing hymns, singing about Jesus, singing, who knows what exactly they're singing, but singing to keep their spirits up, singing because their spirits are up, trusting that even though they're in the darkest, most deep part of the prison, well, that Jesus is going to free them and do something good with them in the end, whether by death and they'll get freed into his presence or by some miracle of freeing them back to the work that they were to do and so you see their hearts are satisfied their hearts are at peace and so they can sing in the middle of the night but the jailer maybe he's nodding off to sleep and suddenly there's a great earthquake in the middle of the darkness the prison doors fly open everyone's chains come loose and and there's a supernatural freeing that should remind us of Jesus ministry as well that should remind us of Jesus resurrection Jesus wasn't just freeing people while he was here on earth Jesus is about the business of freeing humanity, freeing us who are enslaved to sin, enslaved to death, enslaved to sadness and tears. Jesus is in the business of freeing people like you and me. And so these men are freed. In fact, everybody in the prison is freed. And the jailer is about to fall on his sword. And Paul says, don't do it. And rescues him as well. He's freed. He's freed from the, from the, way of life that means death if you ever mess up. Do you see that? That's what his job is all about. That's what his life has always been. That's what our lives can often be. If you make a mistake, especially publicly or online, say something out of turn, do something that that's against the grain of things, people will cancel you. You will get wiped away. It might as well be as if you're dead and gone because there's no forgiveness in our culture. At least it's a very rare thing. There's no forgiveness in this man's culture. He's failed at his job. He can't ask for mercy. He might as well fall on his own sword. And then Paul, Jesus, frees him from that, frees him into a community of grace, frees him into a community of forgiveness. You see, he falls on his knees when he realises that they haven't all legged it, but that Paul has kept people in the prison. He falls at his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? What do you think he means by saving? Um, Well, he probably puts two and two together, realises that With this massive earthquake and the freeing of these messengers, whatever God these messengers have been sent from, well, he must be pretty angry. If he sent this massive earthquake to break out his messengers from the prison, he must be pretty angry. And this jailer is on the wrong side of that God. He's imprisoned the messengers of the true God. And so what must he do? What must he do to to not be punished by the God of Paul and Silas? What must he do to be rescued and saved? How can he escape punishment? Well, by, what does Paul say? By believing in Jesus. Um, believe in Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. You see, that's what he has to do. He doesn't have to um, pay any money. He doesn't have to work for a certain number of years to get himself into heaven. All he has to do is trust in Jesus. That's what tidy, wealthy Lydia did right at the beginning of the story. God opened her heart to respond to Paul's message and she becomes a believer in the Lord. And God opened the heart of the slave girl to be freed and I reckon to believe in Jesus. And God opened the heart of the jailer to want to be saved, to trust in this God and to believe in Jesus. So the question really is, do you believe in Jesus? Have you been freed from whatever's tying you down? If it's wealth and religion, like Lydia, she was looking for something more, had an awful lot, a pretty tidy life, but was looking for something more and heard it in what Paul said about Jesus. This poor girl in the middle who doesn't know what she thinks because her body and mind are not her own. She needs freedom in Jesus and Paul gives it to her. And this jailer, who's all his life lived under the jackboot of some officer, who, if he messes up, well, there's no forgiveness, only punishment. He comes and finds the grace of God and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. So, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells us the Philippian jailers, rough and ready people like him, can be forgiven and brought to his kingdom. That tidy, wealthy, well-to-do people, but who know there's, there's more to life than this. Like Lydia, that they can come and believe in Jesus. And people who have really dark and wild problems... Whatever it is, however far you've gone on the spectrum, religious to non-religious, really dark to try to be really good. Wherever you are, you need Jesus. You need to believe in him, to trust that he's the real king. You need him to open your heart to the message of Jesus. You need him to help you see that you need to be saved, to be rescued, to come into his family by believing in Jesus. There really is nothing you have to do. Lydia didn't have to pay the slave girl didn't have to enslave herself to Paul or something. The jailer didn't have anything to do except to trust and believe in Jesus, to look at him and say, yeah, he's the one who's died for my sins to take away all my darkness. Yes, he's the one who's risen on the third day, being broken out of the prison of death. And I wanna be free in his kingdom. I wonder if you've done that before, if you trusted in Jesus and believed in him. Why don't we pray and ask him um, to help us trust in him. And then there's one more thing to do briefly before we finish. Lord, we thank you that you save us and rescue us, that you open our hearts to trust in you, that you call us and welcome us, that it's all kinds of people who you want in your kingdom. Lord, people like us. So Lord, we're sorry for our sins and the way we've walked away from you. And I ask that you would come into our hearts and be the Lord, the king that you really truly are. And Lord, as as we come to you. We ask that you would help us to keep on following you, to keep on walking with you um, all the days of our life. Amen. Amen. It's good to pray that kind of thing each day, to come to him, to leave our old lives behind and keep on following and trusting and believing in Jesus. And if you are somebody who would like to believe, but you're not really sure if it's all true, well, keep on investigating. Come along to church physically if you can make it. Send us an email online if you want to. Ask some questions. Go on YouTube. Um, Christian's Explored videos. That would be a good place to start. Or go and look for a guy called Roger Carswell or Tim Keller or somebody like that who's really good at answering questions and helping to explain Jesus to those who don't really know much about him. Go and search for those guys. they would be helpful for you on YouTube or come and get in contact with us personally. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus and try and work through some of your doubt questions about Jesus. One last thing to deal with, especially if you're a Christian, if you've come to Jesus, you know that he wants and loves you and has welcomed you into his family. Well, how does he guide us? How does he lead us on? We skipped over the first bit of the story, didn't we? Which was a, which is an interesting bit that Paul wants to go here and the Holy Spirit stops him. And then they want to go up there and the spirit of Jesus stops them. And then eventually they get down to Troas and have this wonderful dream about a man saying, come and help us. And they know exactly what to do. So how is it that God guides us? Is it through dreams? Is it through strange feelings? Is it through prophecies and words? Is it through just normal ideas and everyday things? Well, the answer to that question is yes. God leads in all sorts of different ways. Usually, quite normally, like the beginning of this trip is just an idea. They want to go and visit the people who they haven't seen for a while. It's a good idea to go and do that and, and, um, and to encourage people. And so they just crack on with the journey. Presumably they pray about it, But the first missionary journey, it was started off by the Holy Spirit who prompted them to go and start it. So one is a prompting, the other is an idea, and one is kind of a a bit abnormal and kind of spiritually interesting, and the other one is very normal. Every day we just have ideas of good things that we could do, and so, yes, go and do those things. But how does God guide us? How do we know when it's him who's stopping us or leading us here? Well, this is a really big question. We can't really do it this in a couple of minutes but I think there's maybe three things to spot from the story here. the first is there are several factors involved in guidance often lots of different things several factors will come together and give you an idea of what you should do but Paul says we shouldn't go there and what well, sorry the Holy Spirit says to Paul we shouldn't go there shouldn't go there yes you should go here and there are a few things that come together you see their idea their desires, um, whatever it was that stopped them, whether it was circumstances, maybe it was a prophetic word from Silas, who's called a prophet back in 1532. Uh, maybe it was another dream. We 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 don't know, but the Holy Spirit somehow stops them from going to these places, and then in a dream says yes to that. So you see, there's a few different factors together. A few different incidents occur. A few different people speak and have a part to play in it. So several factors. We've got to have lots of different things involved in helping us with big decisions. You've got to talk to different people. You've got to ask and pray. You've got to go and read the word. You've got to push some doors. You see, several factors, okay? Lots of things working together, not just one idea or one thing, and then you go for it. Several things involved, that's number one. And then over time. Okay, so this is a little bit of time passes from the idea in the beginning, um, from the argument with Barnabas last week, from the moving through different places, going here, trying there. It happens over time see, it's not just a flash-in-the-pan idea that they get and they, they go straight for it. Several factors come together over time. Several factors, time, together with other people. That's how we make decisions. That's how we know God is guiding us. If you go somewhere on your own, it's probably just your own idea. If nobody else thinks it's a good idea, it's probably not a good idea. Um, so you need other people to help you. Wise, helpful, elders, um, parents, grandparents other people who know the lay of the land. You need a team around you, and that's what Paul has. I often think of him as a bit of a lone ranger. He was not a lone ranger. He was always with a team, with other people, training up the younger ones, with other older ones for encouragement. He's with Silas in the prison. He's with Luke and a gang of others here at the beginning. You see, they're companions travelling together, and they sit down and work it out, put two and two together, and decide, conclude. That word in Greek means like putting everything together. All these several factors that have happened over time, together with a group of other Christians who love Jesus and who are praying faithfully, that he would guide us clearly, and then we go for it. That's just a really brief um, understanding of guidance in the Christian life. Several factors play together over time, and you make those decisions together with other people. I was trying to think of three T's that would make that work, but I couldn't. So time together several factors. If you can think of a T, maybe you can put it on a postcard and send it to me later on. But um, that's really all I wanted to pull out from the story today. Um, who is, Who are the people who God loves, who God calls to be his own? Well, they're all kinds of different people. So what are you like? Are you rich and happy and middle class like Lydia? Maybe not quite as happy as you'd like to be well, you need to come and know Jesus. He is the one who makes all of life make sense. Are you somebody who's really struggling in a dark place? Maybe like this young woman in the, the second story. Well, Jesus opens his arms to you and says, come and be free. Come and walk in the light. Are you somebody who's like the Philippian jailer, a little bit older, a little bit fed up of life, just going through the motions? Um, had it difficult? And I just want to know what forgiveness is like what grace is like. Well, come and meet Jesus, come and know him. He wants you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, he wants to guide you and lead you and shape you and bring you through the adventure of life with him. So find some other people to do that with. Um, work it out together over time as he guides and leads us. Lordy, thank you so much that you are the good God who does lead us and guide us. Thank you for leading Paul and his friends to Europe to bring the gospel to our ancestors So that we could know, and Lord, so that we could carry on pushing, passing, moving that ripple on to others. Lord, we thank you so much for how good you are to us, for how you've worked in our history. Thank you for these stories, Lord, the beginning of how people around us came to know you. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you'd make it clear, that you'd put wise people around us, that you'd help us over time to know what it is that you want us to do with our lives. Lord, if we're still struggling, not really believing, not really sure if you really want us or whether this is all true. Lord, we ask that you would help us with our doubts, help us with our struggles, Lord, help us with our sins, help us to bring all of those things to you, to lay them at your feet. Lord, to see you dying for us, rising on the third day for us, that we might be free. Lord, would you free us to follow you all of our days, we pray.